Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, this topic is a tough one. Preliminary estimates suggest that suicide deaths actually declined during the COVID epidemic. The U.S. had 2677 fewer suicide deaths in 2020 than in 2019, which was a decline, according to an analysis that was published in a medical journal, JAMA. Now, although these numbers may be obscuring the full story, either way, accurate or not, experts are saying, let's not be complacent. This past year has certainly been unusual with more people being at home and keeping a watchful eye on those who are suffering from mental health issues and distress, where there may have been a we're all in this together feeling, where young people faced less bullying and fewer sexual assaults and avoided school shootings and the threat of them. But with the aftermath of this pandemic, comes a lot of uncertainty and anxiety. There's job loss and homelessness and PTSD. Our next guest also worries that kids returning to in-person schooling, particularly those who have excelled at online learning, may also face sort of like a re-entry shock, no longer surrounded by family, but by staff and peers, many whom they haven't seen in over a year. With all these changes and risks, it's really important that we discuss suicide, suicide risk and suicide prevention in our young people today. Now, just a note, if you or someone else is having thoughts of suicide, please call the free confidential line, which is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. Now, our guest is Jonathan B. Singer, PhD, LCSW. He is an associate professor of social work at Loyola University in Chicago. He's the president of the American Association of Suicidology and the co-author of the 2015 Rutledge text, Suicide in Schools, A Practitioner's Guide. He is the author of over 70 publications, and his research has been featured in national and international media outlets like NPR, BBC, Fox, Time Magazine, and The Guardian. Now, Dr. Singer is the founder and host of the award-winning Social Work Podcast, a fellow podcaster at socialworkpodcast.com, the first podcast by and for social workers. He lives in Evanston, Illinois, with his wife and three children. And I want to welcome Dr. Jonathan Singer to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Robin. It is an honor and a pleasure to be here today. Uh, I'm thrilled to have you, my fellow podcaster. Your <laughs> your information is so important. And, you know, as we said, that while the suicide rates seem to be on the decline, we actually are bracing ourselves for what to come. But before we get into the meat of the matter, for those who haven't had the opportunity to meet you, see you speak, read your book or your articles, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what set you on the path of helping families and schools attempt to understand, assess the risk, and try to prevent suicide? Well, you know, uh, I mean, what gets me up in the morning is is usually my kids mm-hmm. um, or the... Um, uh, the, the the anticipation of of kids, especially in the pandemic when everybody's been remote. But um, in terms of what uh, has really inspired me around this topic, it's it, it was my earliest experiences um, working with suicidal kids and realizing that that this work is all about hope. Mm. It's acknowledging the pain and the suffering and the fear that kids and their families are going through 
and also knowing that it's it's finding those those reasons for living it's it's helping people to build worlds that they want to live in it's it's finding that little piece of of hope mm. in a kid and the family and and helping that to grow and mm. to blossom mm. and that that is really what has inspired me over mm. the last 25 years to do this work it's very important work and it takes you know really special people to be doing it i i really honor what what you're coming from and and people who are listening in you know i've are working with kids you know have kids um see kids you know throughout the weeks and it's it is such a weird time let's talk about the risk factors related to suicide whether they're physiological or social emotional as well as the warning signs that parents and teachers and coaches should be paying paying attention to at this point especially now in the wake of the pandemic as kids are starting to come back to school and there's just so many changes in their lives that are disrupting their norms i mean i think they maybe you know finally got used to being home and now they're back in school so what should we be looking for in terms of risk factors um, and warning signs well so risk factors and warning signs are uh, related but but different in some important ways Mm -hmm. right so you know you can think about um uh, heart attacks Mm -hmm. as an analogy right so some of the risk factors include um you know, a genetic history, mm-hmm. like there's there's heart disease in the family, um, sedentary lifestyle, um, you know, high cholesterol, things like that. Those are risk factors, right? Um, but the warning sign that somebody is having a heart attack has nothing to do with the fact that their parent had a heart attack mm-hmm. or their grandparent had a heart attack. It's, you know, it's this tightness in the chest. There's mm-hmm. the phantom pain down the arm. And so when we think about risk factors and warning signs for suicide, we know that there are risk factors associated with um, age, uh, uh, gender assigned at birth, um, uh, access to firearms, right? So the older mm-hmm. a person is, um, uh, the more likely they are to die by suicide mm-hmm. um, up until, you know, kind of age 60. And then it decreases again, then it goes back up again in mm-hmm. the late mm-hmm. 70s, early 80s. But um, we also know that uh, uh, females are about three times as likely to attempt suicide, but males are about three times as likely to die by suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have access to a firearm in the home as a kid, uh, you're 30 t- 32 times as likely to die by suicide, controlling mm. for all other things. Mm. Um, also having, um, uh, you know, a, a parent die by suicide mm. is is a risk factor. Now, now let me just say all of these, and, and I have to say there, there are dozens of risk factors. And the reason why is that, you know, in order to create a risk factor, you, you, you say, who died by suicide. Mm-hmm. And if we look at those that didn't die by suicide that are that are the same, what's different? And so that's how you come up with a risk factor. Um, you could be sitting, you know, you could have a, a 16 year old um, male who has a firearm in the home and is not at risk for suicide, mm-hmm. right? And so there's a real limitation to the concept of risk factors, um, but warning signs are applicable to all kids. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to go over those? Yeah, tell, yeah. tell us uh, some of those warning signs so that those people who are listening, you know, are aware. Sure. So a warning sign is an indication that something is about to happen, mm-hmm. right? Just, just like the warning signs of a heart attack. So mm-hmm. uh, for kids, we talk about somebody who's talking about or making plans for suicide. And this could sound like a kid saying like, well, nobody would care if I lived or died. Mm. Or um, you guys have fun because I'm not going to be around next weekend. Mm. Or or even as explicitly as, you know, I'm just thinking about killing myself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when, when kids are expressing hopelessness about the future, um, or they're displaying what we think of as kind of severe or overwhelming emotional pain or distress 
right? So they're 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 so distraught. They they physically look like they're just in pain mm. um, because the emotions are so intense. Now, any one of those things, or sort of the first one, obviously, is not something that you would just kind of ignore. But mm-hmm. we we know that especially for teenagers. Um, it's almost developmentally normative mm-hmm. for teenagers to be like, well, I mean, I don't know that the future is going to be any good. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the adults screwed it up in 2008 and here they are screwing mm-hmm. it up again in mm-hmm. the pandemic. Like, mm-hmm. why should I think that my future is going to be any good? Okay. So that's developmentally appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, having moments in adolescence where you are blissed out or in intense emotional pain, also development developmentally normative because of how the brain works mm-hmm. right but when you have a kid who's talking about wanting to die and they're in pain and they're expressing um, hopelessness about the future and then they've done some things like withdraw right from social situations mm-hmm. and these days that can look like um deactivating social media accounts mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not posting right um they're irritable or 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 agitated and not just with like one person but with everybody mm-hmm. right so they're so they're you know they're on the phone and they actually start yelling at grandma mm-hmm. like what mm-hmm. what are you doing you don't yell at grandma mm-hmm. um or um you've noticed that they are not sleeping mm-hmm um, so when you have the statement, like, I'm going to kill myself or I don't want to live, um, there's the hopelessness. And then you get these other things in combination. That's an indicator that the kid is uh, likely thinking about killing themselves and that they're probably thinking about how they're going to do it. And so that's a time to jump in and act. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I remember reading in your book uh, about some of those statements, like I, I feel hopeless and, and being able to, you know, decipher that that might mean tomorrow will be no better than today. And the experience they have is hopelessness, or I can't see any way out can mean I can't think of any alternatives. Other statements like you've mentioned, like I'd be better off dead, it isn't worth it, or no one cares. So if we do hear a young person speaking in these types of ways and you say to take some action what are our next steps like what do we say and do in that situation well so you know the first thing is to uh, acknowledge what the person is saying Mm -hmm. um you know so we'll just use the example of of you know a kid saying i don't think if anybody would care if i lived or died Mm -hmm. you know acknowledge the the emotion associated with that so um uh at the very least right that's that's probably a a sad and scary place Mm -hmm. for the kid Mm -hmm. to think that nobody would care if Mm -hmm. this kid were around um and so acknowledging that sounds like a really sad and scary place i'm i'm so glad that you told me that you were thinking that so that's the first part, right? Mm-hmm. So you acknowledge it, you label the emotion. Um, and depending on what's going on, um, because these conversations don't happen out of context, right? Mm-hmm. If you're the parent, you know what's going on in the house. If you're the coach, right, you see the kids at practice. If you're the teacher, the kids in school. So, so you have some context. Um, but then eventually what you're going to do with that is to is to say, let's let's get you some help, right? Let's get you somebody that you can talk to um, about this. Now, you don't wanna do that right away because the, the person has trusted you with this and, and you don't want them to, <laughs> you don't wanna give the impression that you're just punting, right? Like, hey, thanks for telling me that. Um, it's too much for me to handle, so I'm just gonna give you to somebody else. Um, so making sure that you're acknowledging what's going on um, with that kid and some of the phrases that you can use. And again, these are, these are the kinds of things that should really fit you as a person. Um, and in the context, otherwise they're just going to sound like, 
like sort of like the inverse of a Hallmark greeting card. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, saying things like, you know, hey, I really appreciate that you trusted me to tell, you know, yeah. that you trusted me with this. Or, um, you know, nobody should have to go through this much pain. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and Or, you know, I'm like there's some stats that like, you know, nearly 38,000 kids lost a parent to COVID this, mm-hmm. this you know pandemic and right and so like if you know that's been going on right um and it's related you can say something like you know um you've had to suffer or you've suffered so much this year Mm. no one no one should ever have to go through that especially not somebody who's lost a parent Mm. Um, please know that there are people out there that can help Mm -hmm. i know it doesn't seem like it's it's possible but but it is Mm -hmm. right um so just really personalizing it and mm. and and knowing that um, that having the kid feel heard mm-hmm. and validated mm-hmm. is in and of itself protective against suicide. Yeah, I, I love that you're giving us the words to say and, and saying that it needs to be personalized because, you know, if you feel like you could just open up a greeting card like you're saying and it, you know, has this generic thing, it it won't be taken seriously, especially from teens who are savvy and, you know, f- feel like, you know, people just say things all the time and they, they want to feel like you're... You know, you're validating what they're saying and really listening to what you're saying. In your book, you also talk about things, you know, that we need to avoid saying or doing. Um, Think things like, I understand what you're going through or think of your parents or you should think of the positive. I also could even think of like the knee jerk reaction to, you know, nobody cares. Oh, of course they do. You have this person and that person and I care and, you know, I'd care. And, you know, and then you just you feel like you're done. So can you go into more detail with what we should avoid saying or doing when a child starts speaking in these ways that might indicate that they are suicidal and hopeless and really why we should be avoiding saying these things? Because sometimes it looks like these would be things to say, like, you know, I understand what you're going through or, you know, oh, you you have what about your girlfriend or your you know, it, it does sound like things that people say all the time. So I, I would love to get more information on that so that we do avoid saying the wrong thing in that in that tender moment. Yeah. Well, so let's start out with this, you know, the the phrase that seems innocent enough, um, which is like, I understand what you're going through. Mm-hmm. First of all. Adolescents, in particular, don't really think that adults understand what they're going through. Right, because we've never been that age anyway, and (laughs) even if we were, it was like a hundred years ago. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, how could you understand what I'm going through when you didn't even have a phone in your room? Right. It's like, yes, that's true. That is true. And yet, I suffered heartache and pain, Mm -hmm. and but no, they're like, I don't want to hear that. So. So saying, I understand what you're going through, um, in general, it, it doesn't, doesn't really work. It, it, can, it can really backfire um, because uh, it, it suggests that we um, understand how deep their pain is mm-hmm. or how broad their suffering is across mm-hmm. multiple different systems. Um, multiple relationships um, and and we don't right we actually can't understand what this kid is going right. through um, in in a way that will be helpful like in a couple of sentences so right. um, the way that you can really help a kid uh, to feel like you get them is to sit with them mm-hmm. and to listen to them and to nod and to say, oh, that sounds terrible, tell me more, right? To really open up space for them to be heard. And and only then could you even begin to sort of understand uh, what's going on. So, so I mm-hmm. understand what you're going through really tells the kid, um, I think I already know. You don't have to say anything. You don't, don't have, have to, to say, say anything. We got, I got it. This. I got this. 
Yeah. I know yeah. you. I, I've seen it all. I mean, would it yeah. be, would it then be a good idea to, to just tweak that to, I want to understand what you're going through and I want to be here to listen to you and then hold space for them? I mean, is it, is it worth tweaking it in that way? Yeah. And, you know, you could certainly tweak it to say, I, I would, I would love to, to know more mm-hmm. about what's going on for mm-hmm. you. Um, I, I would, I, I know that we, you know, you deserve to have people that will listen to yes. you. And, yes. And I would love to be able to hear a little bit more so that we can find the right folks for you. People probably have heard me say this enough times on the podcast, but, you know, we know that young people often don't think that they have at least three people to turn to in a time of need or challenge and you being one of the three people can really make a difference in that moment absolutely yeah no it's totally true and I, you know i love i love how you said three key people mm-hmm. um there was an app that was kind of my go-to app for a long time called my three no really huh? yeah it's a you know it's it was marketed as a suicide prevention app it, it's it's pretty glitchy these days mm-hmm. which makes me think they're not updating it anymore okay. um, but there's another app called not okay mm-hmm. which is a similar idea and it doesn't limit you to just three people but mm-hmm. it's basically a way that you can have an app downloaded on your phone mm-hmm. where you have a circle of people that are at the ready and with the not okay app which by the way was designed by teens um, a brother and sister pair uh, out of Atlanta um, and you basically like press a, a button, you know, an icon and it sends a message saying, I'm not okay. Come check mm-hmm. on me. And you can decide in advance, like, do you want to send GPS coordinates? Do you want to send a text mm-hmm. email? Like, how do you want to reach out to these people? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I love that idea. And I think that that's really an important thing to set up in advance, mm-hmm. especially if you're working with a kid that's struggling, mm-hmm. um, to know who those folks are. And when we are saying things like, you know, other statements that you're telling us, you know, we really need to to not say, like, you should think of the positive or think of your parents. We're not we're not sitting with the feeling that they're having right then. We're not allowing them to express how they're feeling and really hearing them. We're just trying to find a solution at that point. Is that is that the reason why we should be avoiding saying those kinds of things? Well, yes, a hundred percent. I mean, like if we talk to an adult, like let's say you're coaching um, a team and um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the last game of the season. And you know, this is like you win the season or you lose the season. And then like you lose and to have somebody come up and be like, <laughs> like, Hey, you're really taking this hard. Like think about how great it is for those other folks. <laughs> Right. Or like just step outside of yourself. We're like, oh, I totally get it. Yeah, that sucks. I remember when we lost a game when I was a kid. Like it like if we put our like if we imagine that, like it doesn't make any sense. Like you would never want anybody to do that. You'd be like, so sorry, man. You want to go get a drink? It's like, yeah, let's go talk. Well, thank you. So that's what you're doing with a kid without the alcohol. You're saying I want to hang and I want to be there with you because you're going through something crappy. Right. Right. And you had mentioned or we were what we were just talking about. We were just talking about like one of the protective factors here is is making sure that a child has somebody to talk to and and rely on. I was just I was telling my daughter I was going to be talking to you today and and I said to her, "Who do you feel like you have to talk to and she mentioned me and and one of her friends and just like if you you know you're feeling frustrated or angry or sad and and I'm curious about some of the other protective factors that may be in place but maybe aren't in place and that maybe we can help to put into place for kids who may be more at risk so that they can better cope or have better support leading them to sort of bend the path away from from a dangerous place what are some of those protective factors well uh, we know that uh, family mm-hmm. um, can be a protective factor mm-hmm. and let me just say this about protective factors so so a, a, a something that is a protective factor 
really only qualifies as a protective factor if there is a specific risk that mm. it is protecting against. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I could go through a list of like generic protective mm -hmm. factors, mm -hmm. but um, but the downside with that is that you know if you're like oh yoga is a protective factor no yoga is not a protective factor unless it like unless there's something that is a risk mm. that it's protecting against mm. you know some people say religion or you know participation in organized um you know religious uh, uh programs like church or synagogue or um uh those are not protective factors in and of themselves and so um so for most folks um Family can be protective because a functional family is one that both sort of supports the kid to be themselves, but also reminds them that they have a, a, a loving community where they can come to when they're feeling scared or, or, or hurt mm -hmm. or um, unprotected, right? So family in that sense. But let's say you're a trans youth and your family mm -hmm. misgenders you and yeah. they refuse to call you by your name yes. like that's not a protective factor and so i think yes. it's really important that we're clear mm -hmm. on that good um, point mm -hmm. I, I will say that um you know having uh having having a place where you feel um safe and protected and and where you can share the things that are um painful in your life are are in general protective and and i think this really plays into a broader issue around suicide risk which is you know if we if we want a world where people feel like their lives are worth living we we can't have a society that says that some lives are worth more than others mm, mm, mm -hmm. right we can't have a school that says some students are worth more mm, than others mm -hmm. we can't have a neighborhood that says you're not as good as these other kids, mm -hmm. right? This is a broader issue when we talk about building, um, you know, building worlds uh, where where people want to live, building lives worth living. And mm -hmm. and and I know this is not sort of the checklist um, that that you know that I could list off, but but I think it's really important for everybody to to recognize this um, be, because this. This idea that we have to make things um, uh, accessible and culturally relevant mm -hmm. and meaningful to folks um, is one of the things that could quite likely make the difference mm. uh, for kids who are, who are thinking about ending their life or kids who are thinking about living. Yeah, I, I think you're right there. And and the idea that, that some kids feel like they'll never be enough right for their family or in their school given that they may not be the most academically inclined or the most athletically inclined or artistically inclined i often talk about helping kids to find their gifts but also highlighting their gifts so that you see them and know that they are valuable as they are but also for what they contribute to the world and especially if the the things that these kids bring to the world are not necessarily recognized as you know as part of the community of things that that people often recognize you know the the football star or the valedictorian but also noting because as you were talking i was thinking about you know these protective factors that sometimes it's the kids who look like they have it all that are are also suffering and they wind mm -hmm. up not being on our radar because you're like well wait a second they do well in school they look like they have a lot of friends they you know they they're beloved and popular so those protective factors can sometimes derail us from from catching things isn't that correct absolutely you know the the idea that you can recognize uh, the kid who's suicidal just by looking at them is a myth. Mm -hmm. um, the one of my co-authors for the book, Scott Poland, he actually wrote one of the first books on suicide in schools mm -hmm. back in 1989, and he had, he had one chapter on um, um, heavy metal music and another chapter on Dungeons and Dragons, mm. right? And in the late 80s, we didn't really have any good information about 
youth suicide risk. Mm-hmm. And there was this idea that kids that listen to you know heavy metal like Ozzy Osbourne mm-hmm. or play Dungeons and Dragons, they're probably suicidal. And that's totally not true. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, it's obviously some kids are, but not mm-hmm. because they're listening right. to, to to certain lyrics or or playing games. Um, the uh, the way that this translates into what adults should be doing is it translates into you should be asking the question have you had thoughts of killing yourself Mm -hmm. have you had thoughts of ending your life Mm -hmm. and there are lots of ways that you can ask that question you want to make sure that you're actually asking about suicide as opposed to self-harm because there are lots of kids i think one in seven um, kids by the time they reach college have engaged in non-suicidal self-injury mm-hmm. um, at this point. And so if you say, like, do you want to hurt yourself? Mm-hmm. You can get kids who are like, no, I don't. The pain is so bad that I want to end it, mm-hmm. right? And so you you don't get the right information. But um, making sure that you ask someone if they're suicidal is key in identifying who that person is and that that means at schools we should have universal screening where we ask about it because captain of the football team might say yes Mm. and and they're the captain of the football team because they've tried really hard to make sure that nobody knows how much they're suffering right Mm. um you could have um you know the captain of the cheerleading team who was sexually assaulted Mm -hmm. and never told anybody Mm -hmm. um they're all of these things, right, that we don't know, so we have to ask. And and parents are terrified, and actually not just parents, folks are terrified, well, if I ask the question, won't I put the idea into right. somebody's head? Right. And the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Right. There was, there was a research study in 2005 by Maddie Gould where she did this brilliant, <laughs> brilliant study where she did a survey She asked a couple of questions before she asked um, folks about uh, their thoughts of suicide. Um, And the questions that she asked before had to do with their level of distress and and things like that. Mm -hmm. And what she found was that the kids that reported that they had recently had thoughts of suicide, um, their level of distress decreased. Mm. From Somebody actually of, was hearing them, right? Like yeah, letting from them the talk. Start of the, of, of the hmm. survey to the end, and that the kids that reported not having recent thoughts of suicide, their level of distress did not change. Hmm. And when she followed That's up two right. days later, level of distress for kids um, uh, remained low, and the kids that said they weren't suicidal two days earlier weren't saying they were suicidal. So it suggested that there was no risk associated with asking the question but actually there might have been some benefit mm-hmm. of reducing distress so so please ask the question mm-hmm. that is a fascinating uh reveal right there and and actually not surprising given that we know when we talk about other weighty topics taboo topics uh I'll say sex or porn or anything of those sorts where we actually bring up the topic. They have the same type of myth that, you know, if I, if I talk about it, therefore it will be that my child will do it. It actually does reduce the, the chance of, of risky behaviors. So it goes in line with that. And, and that is one of the main reasons why I feel so strongly that we need to talk to kids about all of these different topics. The more we talk about it, the more supported they feel. They have a, a person to, to talk to and, and ask questions and express concerns. And they are less likely to go off on their own and, and try to find solutions um, and and engage in the risky behavior. So I appreciate what you're saying. I, I also noticed in your book some other myths that you talked about. Uh, and I would love to know what the fact is. Two others, one you mentioned already about, uh, I'll put it in his head, uh, you know, if I bring up the idea of suicide, but two others are, if a child or teen really wants to die by suicide, there's nothing I can do to stop them. Or if a child or teen is thinking about suicide all the time, they might not really be suicidal and I don't really need to take these statements seriously. What's your response to those two myths? Yeah, so um, 
so the the myth about like if somebody's talking about like I'm gonna kill myself, um, like it's just a cry for attention. Uh, that's a dangerous interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now, I will acknowledge that kids these days use the shorthand like KMS or KYS, mm-hmm. like I'm going to kill myself, you right. should kill yourself. Um, and so it's important to uh, to be clear on what the kid is saying, but but being clear about what they mean is different than ignoring it. Mm-hmm. So you can only be clear if you talk to the kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and by talking to the kid, it means that you are acknowledging it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one of the things that I, I've done with kids for years um, is I've helped them to know that there is a difference between being unhappy or sad or scared or angry and wanting to die, mm-hmm. right? We've seen in the pandemic um, reports that there are increased um, uh, percentages of kids who are reporting depressive symptoms and anxiety symptoms and eating disorders and things like that. Um, But there hasn't been any evidence to suggest that there's increased um, suicide ideation or attempt in kids. Now, we might get those data later, Mm -hmm. but um, so far there's no evidence to suggest that, which which means that kids can be distraught and not suicidal. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important to be able to say, if you're sad, mad, scared, lonely, and you want to be happy, right? You want to be engaged with folks. You want to have uh, connection. Tell me that. Because mm-hmm. then if you do, then I can help you as an adult, help you to find that. Mm-hmm. I can help connect you to those resources that will make you happy, um, connected, feel loved, whatever it is. Um, but if you tell me that you're suicidal, but you're not actually suicidal. But if you tell me that you're suicidal, what I'm going to do is we'll talk to somebody who's a mental health professional. Mm-hmm. You might talk to a psychiatrist. Um, if You might end up in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that at no point will anybody care how happy you are. Right. They'll just care about whether or not you've, you've, you've stayed alive. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to be happy, tell me that. If you if you're suicidal, mm. like literally, t- like legitimately, tell me that too, because we want to make sure we address that. But it's really important to notice the difference. Mm-hmm. And and so I think that being able to talk to kids about that difference is mm. is really an important way to get around this idea that the kid's just saying it for attention, mm-hmm. because it's possible that this kid has learned no one will pay attention to me unless. I take it to the nth degree mm. until I ramp it up to 11, as they say in Spinal Tap. Mm-hmm. And, and what you're saying is you don't have to go to 11. You just have to tell me that you're sad and you want to be happy mm-hmm. and we'll work on that. That could be an incredibly powerful way of um, countering the myth mm-hmm. of, um, of kids who say I'm going to kill myself. Uh, it's just for attention. And the, and the myth that if a child really wants to die by suicide, there's nothing I can do to stop them. That's a myth as well. Yeah, that is a myth. Now, let me just say that um, one death by suicide is one death too many. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, the uh, uh, NBC News article that I was quoted in recently, um, you know, included the story of a mom whose 10 year old daughter. Um, killed herself Mm -hmm. and it was sort of seemingly out of the blue I'm not saying to this mom that she was wrong I'm not saying that um, that she was being a neglectful mom or that she missed anything what this statement is is it's really a statement for um, professionals Mm -hmm. and parents to say um, we have a duty and an obligation to do everything up to the very last second mm-hmm. to ensure that kids stick around. And this isn't, I, I, I'm just going to like put a fine point on this, right? Um, we do not want to send our kids to school knowing that there are school staff who are like, well, somebody, bad things are going to happen to kids and really there's nothing I can do about mm-hmm. it. Kids are going to do bad things to themselves, and if they really want to, there's nothing I can do about it. That's not – that is not no. <laughs> the attitude that we want people to have. Absolutely we want not. people to say, no, 
this is something I can do something about. Not mm-hmm. only can I, I should do something about this. Mm-hmm. I have a responsibility to do something about this. And so that myth, sort of the sort of corresponding myth, in fact, it really speaks to that idea that that um, you know we can we can and should do everything up until the very last second. Mm-hmm. So if it turns out that a suicide has occurred in a family or a close circle of friends, a school, you know, a gym, what should the coaches or teachers or staff or parents specifically do or say to those left behind, the students, the friends left behind, and and how might they know if somebody's particularly suffering that might need extra attention? What and what would that attention be? Okay, so the that is a big question. It is a big question, you um, know, but we only have a few minutes, so I just want right, all exactly. of it, all so the information. I let know. me give you the bumper sticker version. Um, the first thing is to acknowledge that, you know, everybody can share the same loss but have a totally different experience of it. Mm-hmm. When people are grieving, there are many different legitimate ways that people grieve a loss, including mm-hmm. not really – having it impact them at all or even right then could be delayed right i mean right so that's another reaction which is a delayed reaction there's this sort of really intense reaction that kind of decreases fairly soon Mm -hmm. and then there's the one that is pretty intense and then just continues on Mm -hmm. and on and on right um which we often call complicated grief um but responding to um youth following a suicide death is what we in the business call postvention and the idea is that you are intervening to address the grief and loss and to prevent suicide deaths that might result from that death. And, and so that's why it's postvention because it's, it's, it's sort of intervention as prevention. Is that um, the contagion idea? Yeah. So that's the contagion idea. And contagion is this idea that, um, um, and it, it it's something that occurs only in youth, mm-hmm. really. Um, and it's the idea that, you know, when one kid dies by suicide, um, other kids that are already at high risk for suicide will kill themselves um, in quick succession mm-hmm. after that death. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. one of the ways to reduce the likelihood of, of contagion is to address this. Um, it's important for folks to um, think about how they would address a suicide death before it happens. And one of the reasons why you want to do that is because our the ways that we grieve uh, the loss of somebody are, are perhaps more culturally bound mm-hmm. than almost anything else. Um, and you don't want it, to, it's very easy to step into a cultural bubble and shatter it if you don't know what you're doing. And, that's the last that 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 is totally the wrong time to shatter somebody's cultural bubble um and so what you want to do is you want to acknowledge that there is a death Mm -hmm. if if it's a if it's a kid and the parents are okay with calling it a suicide death which by the way i i think everybody should because there's lots of benefit in being able to talk about it in Mm -hmm. terms of um but obviously we honor the parents requests Mm -hmm. and what they wish, but let's say that they do say, yes, I want to be able to call this a suicide. Then you would say, you know, so-and-so died by suicide. You don't mention the method. Right. You don't talk about anything sort of notes or anything like that. Like you don't mention where it happened. You just acknowledge it. And um, you provide as much information as you can to uh, the kids about how, um, you know, this is a really sad time for us because we've lost a friend. And, um, and we're going to spend some time talking about that Mm -hmm. now, again, because everybody has a different response. Like you don't want, (laughs) you don't want to set up a situation where, uh, there's a kid who's like, I don't really know that kid. And honestly, like the thing that's bothering me these days is that my dad just moved out. I can't really handle talking about so-and-so for hours on end. So, So in a school situation, you, you need to be able to have the flexibility to to address the grief for the kids that are grieving. Mm-hmm. Um, you also want to be able to make sure that you're talking to the family and the community, the mm-hmm. parents, 
about how they can support um, their kids. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I would say is that, you know, parents after a suicide death, they should make sure their kids sleeping. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that they're available to talk with their kid, mm-hmm. that if if the parent is struggling, that the parent models going to see a therapist so that when they tell their kid, you seem to be having a hard time, you talk to somebody, mm-hmm. then the, the kid says, oh, well, you see somebody. So that's in line. That's consistent. It's really hard to say as a parent, like, hey, I'm really messed up, but I'm not seeing anybody. But you should see somebody. You should <laughs> right. talk to somebody. Right. right? Okay. Um, and, you know, one of the other things that I think is really important for parents is, um, you know, lots of times we want our kids to be the best mm-hmm. in things, in the best grades, you mm-hmm. know, most popular, all these sorts of things, almost out of a place of love, right? Meaningful it can be when people are seen as like less than. Yes. But I think particularly after a suicide death, really shifting that to say, I want the best for my kid, yes. not for my kid to be the best. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and that might mean it's okay if you, um, you know, uh, stop taking this AP class mm-hmm. or it's okay if we, we, you know, take this off your plate for a while. Mm-hmm. Right? So all those things I think can be really powerful and supportive. Mm. Thank you. That was really helpful. Um, we come to the, the point of the podcast where I want to ask you for your top tip. What would you hope we came away with after listening to this podcast? Something that we can do or say uh, that would be most helpful uh, for for parents or teachers to know or do about suicide risks, protective factors, and uh, how to help our kids. I would hope that parents and other adults would come away with a sense of hope. Mm-hmm. Like this is something I can be part of addressing, mm-hmm. um, knowing that the most important thing is for me to um, be there for my kid or the student or my, you know, the kid I'm coaching um, and to listen to them, mm-hmm. um, genuinely be there for them and know that there are resources that are available, uh, professionals, um, you know, you mentioned the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, there's the Crisis Text Line, there's Trevor Project for mm-hmm. LGBTQ folks, yes. there's Trans Lifeline. Um, there's, there, there are a bunch of resources. And so the very basic thing that I hope everybody comes away with this um, thinking and feeling is, um, it's a good thing for me to be involved in this and to connect with a kid around this and then to know that there are others who are also involved because this this is a team sport here Mm. right and 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 you got to be part of the team Mm. because our kids deserve it Mm. very powerful give us the resource of the week where can we go to get more information about you uh your book your speaking you know anything that you're doing uh in terms of this type of work um well, I think one of the best resources out there is the uh, American Association of Suicidology mm-hmm. website. There's there's lots of good resources for families um, and parents and professionals. Um, in terms of my work, um, I'm I'm always speaking at conferences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they they just they're coming up. So if you can just Google my name, um, don't confuse me with a. There's a representative from Colorado who also <laughs> has my same name. He's a good guy. I've, I've, I've thank goodness with him. But um, um, and um, and I'm also online and I do a lot of engaging with folks on Twitter. Yes. Um, uh, around this topic. Yes, and we will be going back and forth uh, this whole week talking about this podcast and I'll be creating memes and, you know, quoting you. So, uh, people can, can connect with you there and, and share your fine words, uh, from today. I just want to thank you so much, uh, for being on the show and for your insights and your strategies, um, and the way to, to talk to kids about all of this, because it is a weighty topic, but as you said, it's a, a topic that we can engage kids in and it's something that we can be helpful um, in with our with with kids with students we can make a difference here and uh, we don't just need to 
sit back and, and see what happens. We can be part of the solution. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Robin. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours. So let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. We can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. Also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. And I will have all of Jonathan Singer's information in the show notes. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people can also learn about these outstanding solutions and use them in their own homes, their schools, their gyms. This is a topic that needs more exposure and we need to make sure we're talking about it. Jonathan Singer has provided the ways, so let's make sure we get that information out there. I can't tell you how much it means to me when you when you rate and review my podcast all those five star reviews really just it, it really makes my heart sing thank you that's all the time we have for today my fellow parents leaders and educators thank you so much for tuning in to how to talk to kids about anything for more information on books articles speaking engagements or curriculum please visit drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts. And as I said, the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. Perhaps you haven't had this conversation with your kids or perhaps something happened and you wish you did have this conversation with your kids already. Maybe somebody in the community died by suicide. You don't need to just say, oh, I didn't do it and move on. You can do it now. You can do it today. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.